I'm Brendan Kearney, and you're listening to the Belgian Smack Podcast, where we explore the world of Belgian beer. Stummelings is Brussels dialect for in secret or under the table. Denise von Elleweek was homebrewing as an archaeology student. Samuel Longhi went to India to study video game production. In 2015, the school friends from age 12 started a tiny commercial brewery producing classic Belgian styles with a twist in a small glass front space in the heart of the Marol district of Brussels. They're known by some in Belgium as the brewery with the rope, a string with a tag hanging on their otherwise non-distinct 75cl brown champagne bottles. The names of their beers are very Brussels, with a sense of humour both cheeky and dark. Curieuse Neuse, Cuvée Houdini, Noirole, Chica Madame. At the time we recorded the podcast last year, and Stummelings were brewing in a tiny unit in the Marole, since then, they've moved to another location in Brussels, increasing production from 2 hectolitres per batch to 18 hectolitres per batch. We talk about their scrapes with customs and excise before their launch, the administrative challenges of crowdfunding and starting up a brewery in Belgium, and also the challenges they continue to face in the pricing of their beers as a small outfit. We discuss the politics of brewing in the city of Brussels and their relationship with the other breweries in the city. They're sometimes referred to as the, the little brother of Cantillon and de la Seine. Gregarious, hardworking, laissez-faire, like they say it all the time themselves, hutte ça va. So sit back, listen and enjoy Samuel Longhi of Brasserie and Stummelings. Samuel, thank you very much for, for chatting to me, for agreeing to speak to me. Pleasure. Um, we're here, we're sat in the middle of your brew house mm-hmm. in, uh, in Stummelings. Yep. So you're a brewery in Brussels. The, the, it's kind of you and Dennis that are doing this together. Mm-hmm. Um, so where did you guys meet? What, you know, sort of how did you get to know each other? Uh, it's quite simple. We met at school. Uh, so uh, in secondary school, which is like when you're 12 years old, so we met when we were 12 years old, and we just ended up in the in the same class, and uh, we studied like for uh, six years in the same class, and so we developed a friendship which involved beer and drinking, like uh, a lot of uh, Belgian teens. Um, I would say, like, yeah, we were mostly drinking. Uh, cheap beers to get drunk uh, but it's true that you know we have memories of like when we were like uh, 15 16 years old of uh, going to delirium back when it was still like only like a small underground place not the whole uh, village uh, to drink like uh, yeah like I remember like the first craft which is not craft anymore that we discovered was uh, Le Chouf. Uh, back when it was only available in uh, 75 centiliter and it was like something very small and crafty and uh, we, we still have like some, some picture of this. Um, so yeah, and then um, 
we just uh, parted ways like for um, superior studies. Uh, Dennis uh, studied archaeology and uh, and I studied uh, video game production. Yeah, so yeah, that was kind of two very different yeah. kind of uh, career paths, I guess. Mm-hmm. Different from each other, but also very different to brewing like you ended up. So, I mean... Um, I mean, how do you go from archaeology into beer and how do you go from game design? I mean, are you still a gamer? Uh, I am still a gamer, of course, uh, as I was before, uh, for sure. Uh, because you actually, you worked for Fishing Cactus, which is a sort of a game development yeah. platform. Yeah, 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 absolutely. What was that experience like? Uh, that was awesome uh, for, well, I'll, I'll just go... Um, Throughout how we we transfer from there, and then I'll I'll explain a little more about yeah. my experience at Fishing Cactus. So um, the experience. So what people need to know is that um, in the couple <laughs> that we formed, Dennis and I, uh, that, I mean the business partnership. Um, well, Dennis is handling all the brewing and technical, all the production aspect of the beer, and I handle more of the of the business side of the of the brewery and um so it's quite simple so then he started home brewing uh in 2008 out of uh, passion for beer and you know you drink more and more beer and then at some point you start wondering how does it how is it made and you say okay i'll give it a try so he bought like many people like uh you know 50 bucks kit with some malt extract and just like a plastic fermenter um, the beer was kind of strange, if I recall, very high on, in alcohol. But uh, I can always remember, like, the, the first time I tried it, it was so fun, you know, to taste uh, something I'd made. Um, then uh, throughout the studies, his studies, he continued brewing as a, as a hobby. And uh, so it's only after one year of trying to find a job with uh, his diploma in the pockets that he uh, started to see that uh, being an archaeologist, you know, there's very, very few uh, people that can come. Either you continue in the studies and then, uh, you know, you you really become like a scientist of archaeology, I would say. But, um, but it's, it's a long commitment to study. It's like a five-year yeah. course and then it's also... Yeah, and more and more. And um, so he decided to give brewing a shot. So... Uh, he went to uh, Maurice, which is the only institute that uh, provides a brewing courses. But normally it's an option for like a biochemistry course, but you can follow it for four months as a, what, what is called in Belgium, free student. So it means you won't get graduated, but you can follow the courses. Yeah. And uh, so this is uh, where we met. So I worked at Fishing Cactus for almost four years. So I did two years of studies in India about game production. Then so so you, you studied game production in India? Actually, yeah, it was a French school that opened like an international campus in India. So uh, it was the first year they opened. So when I passed the entrance exam, they were like, oh, if you want, you can study the same thing, but in India. And was that attractive to you to, to go away? Uh, actually, I didn't have much choice because... Um, the school I wanted to go to, uh, they have very limited place in class, and so you have a waiting list. And I was like four on the waiting list, so it's like impossible to think that four people will drop out. Maybe one, maybe sure. two. So, uh, so, so four was, people dropped out. Yeah. So no, and so it's just um, 
For the French part, it was impossible. But so they say, but if you want, we're opening this new campus. So your only chance to study that this year is to go there. And before that, I knew nothing about India. It was just like, I just realized when I had my flight ticket because everything happened so super fast, like in one month. I was gone. You were gone. Where and, did you Where did you go? Uh, it's a city called Pune, so it's uh, nearby uh, nearby Mumbai. So it's like two hundred kilometers. Uh, it's a it's a big student city. Like I mean, it's a little city for India, like three million people. You know, little city. And are <laughs> you the type of person that kind of enjoys experiencing other cultures and like is really easily just chatting to people? Or did you find it difficult to adjust to a new country? Uh, I didn't know. I discovered. At that time that I, if I that I like it, <laughs> because uh, before that, yeah, I had travel, but uh, be traveling in the country as a tourist or live in the country is totally different. But I I uh, adapted very well. You know, people say generally about India that either you adapt very well, either you don't, and you kind of hate it after a while. Uh, but no, I I loved uh, everything about India was. Almost uh, two best years of my life. Uh, so, so were you sad to come back to Belgium to, and to leave that behind? Uh, yes and no. Um, after those two years, I was quite happy to come back actually because uh, I wanted to yeah see a bit of Belgium and and I managed to get a job uh, without finishing my studies actually. So I drop out uh, and so I was super happy and super excited to start working. That was. Mostly that got me back to Belgium and I got very lucky because at that time there was only two studio in Belgium and Fishing Cactus was a super young studio, you know, really like uh, five people in a garage. And, uh, so it was kind of like a startup? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what, what sort of things did, did Fishing Cactus do? So that, that's what I was wanting to say about my experience of Fishing Cactus. that I grew up in the startup environment um so you have uh, totally different things between producing a game and producing beer is two total way of uh, thinking like a final product i would say even though both are made out of passion and uh, craftsmanship in a way uh even like a coder is a kind of a craftsman for me um and so yeah i learned a lot about the startup environment uh, about uh, project management because uh, in, at Fishing Cactus they had like uh, both uh, hats of product manager and uh, game designer. And so, yeah, I learned how to uh, have schedules and to uh, manage projects. Uh, that, that, that sort of knowledge you can after apply uh, yeah, it to and, anything. Yeah, and the, the, the worlds, uh, of course, is a different product, like you say, but the worlds aren't, you know, 100 miles apart because there is this kind of, in each of them, a niche fandom Yep. People are fans of particular breweries or beer styles. Mm-hmm. Um, people are fans of particular games or, you know, particular sort of studios. Yeah. So you have that similar kind of, uh, you're approaching the same customer in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And I, you, I, you bring that with you then when you're kind of coming over on the brewing side. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, it's it's like the, the type of games that we're making at, at Fishing Cactus. Um, the game I worked was really like a passion project, but that in the end died off. Uh, so n- never got released. Uh, now at Fishing Cactus, they they did like uh, one one game which is really uh, successful, be- beautiful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, it's true that they needed to pass through a lot of uh, commercial contracts. Uh, while here, um, well, 
there is not really like a commercial contract. It's just like we produce our beer and it's actually we, we never aimed for a specific customer. Uh, well, our customer are like, yeah, people who like beer, local stuff. But uh, after the type of beer that we produce are not, uh, are not especially appreciated by geeks um uh, we we uh we don't have like very extreme product it's very uh, drinkable easily to appro- easy to approach so in the way we work uh we we have like the craftsmanship uh, at at the heart but um we don't aim for a particular niche uh you know you 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 find that often like in a startup brewery like you'll find a lot of uh, IPAs and uh, and uh, or sour ale or chart are more niche well, in our brewery, I don't think we're really uh, aiming for those niche. I mean, we're just following like our own instinct. And uh, so, so what we're what we're drinking here is the the Chica Madame. Yeah. So that's a sort of a classic whipped beer yeah. with a kind of cold conditioning addition of jasmine hop, uh-huh. jasmine flowers. Yeah. So it's kind of floral, four percent alcohol. Mm-hmm. It's quite light. Maybe we can try the Hoppy Madame against that one then. Yeah. And you can mm-hmm. explain a little bit about that beer. Absolutely. So let me pour it. So you'll see that there's really like the same base and uh, with a more like a fruity flavor, of course. So the, um, that was yeah the initial goal of the Chica Madame um, was really to make like the most refreshing beer that we can. Something you can drink in the summer when the, when the sun hits hard. Uh, and you won't feel, you know, like dizzy after after two sips. Um, it's just that our take on the white beer, we wanted to make it very dry, because um, like already, well, we have our triple, which is sweet, and we are generally kind of sweet, so we want to make something drier, and drier means more refreshing. Uh, you don't need to add like a, a slice of lemon. Uh, in the in in this white beer, absolutely not. Um, and so yeah, the the idea of jasmine, I don't even remember where, where it came from. It's just like uh, we we had this idea since since a long time since we were doing like a uh, home brewing, and then one day we decided to just buy and try, and it worked. It was nice. Um, and about the hoppy madame, so it's the same base, the exact same base, except that we'll dry hop it. Uh, and actually why we did this it was actually not even initially planned uh, is that um, uh, two years back when we visited um, the um, the Brau festival we found about like those new German hops uh, Melon, Mandarina, Bavaria which are like the kind of response of uh, German hop growers to uh, American hoppers, sort of, yeah. yeah, yeah, and uh, and we really fell in love with those hops, and we had bought a stock. Uh, we had no idea what to do with it. Uh, it was so it was yeah, well, Melon, and so we were like, okay, we'll find something. And then we brewed, we brewed, we brewed, and at some point we noticed that uh, it was close to expiration, and uh, we had no idea. Uh, so it's like super hot. We were like, ah, oh, we don't know what to do. So. We just uh, dry upped it. We said, oh, "Okay, let's try to make something more hoppy," and we dry upped it in the in the Chica Madame base without the jasmine, and it turned out uh, this. And that that became the sister beer, Chica Madame and Hoppy Madame. Mm-hmm. 
so so you you kind of you, you were in the gaming world. You were fishing cactus. Mm-hmm. Dennis was uh, an archaeologist, but then yep. moved into with Moody's to, to brewing yep. homebrewing. Mm-hmm. So you guys were obviously homebrewing together. Yeah. So at what point did the idea we're going to start commercially in a small way, um, or so did it did it start with selling your homebrew? No. The the thing is. Um, uh, I had quit my job at Fishing Cactus just about when Dennis was uh, finishing his course. Uh, it was not linked. It was, uh, you know, um, I wanted to move to something else, either get another job, but I had also a plan to ev- eventually start a uh, gaming company here in Brussels. Okay. And it was actually my main project. And uh, Dennis told me, like, okay, uh, I would like to open a brewery uh, in Brussels. And, uh, well, there was really nothing on the table. It was just the idea. And I was like, sure, why not? You know, I'm, I'm also uh, without job for now, so I'll give you a hand for everything that is number and, and so on. And so, actually, it's until uh, we opened the first bottle that uh, it was still a side project for me. So I was working on both projects, so both helping Dennis with setting up like uh, the very small brewing, first brewing space that we had in the kitchen. Yeah, and then your own gaming project. Yeah, and the gaming project on the side, so I was pushing both, but at some point I noticed that I had to choose, and uh, it's, yeah, when we drank like the the first beer that we had brewed, the first Cruzeneuse, uh, not that it was the best beer ever, but uh, I was, you know, thrilled, you know, by the idea. I said, yeah, I know video games. I don't know beer. I can always come back to, uh, to video games if it fails. So let's go for it. Let, let's make a brewery. And um, actually, it went quite fast from there. So we had, we installed, it was uh, in April 2014. Then we did the first brew in May. And we had, like, the first beer ready in... Uh, so in uh, July 2014, uh, and so we continued brewing. And uh, I remember it was—I don't remember uh, it was, if it was September or October—but um, we, we so we were illegal at the time, and we were doing like our little, uh, you know, tasting and so on. Um, and uh, suddenly, uh, we don't know where from, but we got like a, a press article. Uh, in uh, the Ash, so which is a national Belgian uh, newspaper, uh, and announcing us as the third Brussels brewery, and in addition to Cantillon de la Seine. Yeah, and so we were okay. It's cool, but uh, if the guy at uh, customs and everything you know about alcohol regulation is reading the Ash as morning paper or someone get it, we're screwed. Because he'll be like, you know, with morning coffee, like, okay, ah, third brewery, yeah. Yeah, there's not many breweries, so I think I would know, you know? Yeah. And uh, so we, we got uh, very stressed by that. Actually, our plan was to take things much slower, but because we were so stressed... So you were forced to kind of deal with all those issues quite yeah, quickly? Yeah, so, so because of this article, um, we said, okay, we're sending a mail right now to... To this organization, uh, the excise and so on, um, to to tell them uh, that we had done that many small batch, but in what we had paid, we, we should have paid. It was like equivalent to hundred euro, two hundred euro of taxes. So it's not like we stole the government, but uh, we got very stressed that anything would happen because um, because 
if you get any justice thing, then you cannot open a brewery. Uh, so yeah, you're kind of marked for life. Yeah, 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 yeah. So it it becomes like uh, quite complicated, and uh, so uh, we so it was like really like a a, a poker um, play. You know, like we just say like, okay, we're putting old cards on the table. We did this because of that reason, but and so that's where we lied. Um, but we committed to create the, the company very fast. We're, ah, oh, but we're in the middle of setting up the company and now we have stopped our brewing since quite some time and uh, trying, you know, to make yeah. a nice package around that so that they would let us pass. Were you still worried at that point or did you think, oh, this is going to be fine? If- no, no, we were super worried because every, every brewer um, that we met uh, were telling us that axes are like, you know... The devil, you know, they can come and just lock down your whole brewery for a yes or a no and, and fuck up your whole production. Uh, so we, we were really like, uh, uh, no, we were super scared. And uh, when we saw the, an- the answer, we were like, <gasps> because they asked us to um, make a declaration on honor that we had brewed so much and to pay. And in the end, they didn't even uh, ask us to do to, it. To, 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 it was so small. They said, okay, just register normally and yeah. get, get with legal brewing yeah. now. Just don't brew anything. And so, yeah, it was, uh, it was there. At, the, at that time, were you in Stummelings? Oh. Uh-huh. So, I mean, can you tell me a little bit about the name of the brewery and where it came from and what it means? Uh, so, the, the, the name means doing something on the sly, uh, like behind the bushes. It comes from Brussels dialect. Um, and so the, the, the thing is, uh, how it came up, actually, Dennis and I were like, um, fighting to name the triple. I wanted to call it the Anstumeling beer because I found it funny, uh, to imagine people going to the bar and can I have one Anstumelings, you know, it's like, can I have one on yeah, the yeah, slide? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, um, he wanted to call it, uh, Curieuse Neuse, which is also Brussels dialect, which means someone who is too curious. Yeah, um, and it's actually kind of funny because a lot of people come in the brewery saying they're curious yeah. of seeing what we do, so it kind of works well. And actually, it, that's how we settled the thing. We we settled that it's true that Anstumelings covered more of a, the whole brewery, and that Chris knows because and Dennis wanted to have like really like a, a nice strong nose uh, for the triple. Uh, so that's how we settled like the the thing, and Anstumelings became the name, and Cruzeneuse became the the name of the first beer. Because, but the name now is kind of uh, it's a little bit opposite because you're quite open as a brewery. I mean, you're here in Marol, which is a, a, a sort of a yep. very specific part of uh, Brussels city centre. You've got sort of the big glass window, so people can see in all the time. Um, and just so people know, there's a couple of small stainless steel kettles here. And on my left side, there's some plastic mm-hmm. fermenters. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's really like an upscaled homebrewing kit on a professional level, yeah. essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, but you guys, you know, you get visitors in, you're kind of very open about, you know, what you're doing. Yeah, actually, it's kind of funny because we're all about uh, total transparency uh, as small brewer. And actually, that that's kind of funny. And we just say that it's like Belgium surrealism. You know, Belgium has a lot of contradiction all the time. Sure does. And, and we, we, we find it funny that we call it like the secret brewery, while we're maybe one of the most accessible brewery. People can just 
pass by and see everything that is in the brewery. So uh, so it, it's kind of an inside joke for us, you know, it's typical Belgian contradiction, you know, to call something while well, it's totally the inverse. And is, is in Stummelings is, is like a Brussels dialect. Is your mother language uh, French or Flemish? Uh, it's French for both of us, Dennis and I. But you, do you speak some? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I can a little Netherlands speak. Because I, I see the... Um, Not too <laughs> That's excellent, fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> I see um, the uh, the phrase around your brewery a lot, Hut is Sava, which yeah. is a combination of, of obviously Dutch, Fren- Flemish and French. Yeah. So, I mean, is that something that is a bit of fun or how did that sort of come to pass? Well, to us, it's, it's the typical uh, thing you would hear in Brussels because for us, there is no doubt, even if we're coming from the, the French-speaking side and uh, our, our Flemish is not so good, uh, there is no doubt that Brussels is bilingual. Uh, you know, uh, Brusselier is much more of the, of the Flemish side than the, the French side. And this uh, savat to us really defines well what, what you know, someone uh, from the Flemish side could, could say, you know, or, or someone French-speaking making like a mistake because it literally means nothing. But it means everything like for us and it means like a lot about uh, the way we approach the, the, the brewery, you know, like, uh, and actually just for the, for the little story, um, I don't remember exactly, but it was a guy that I once entered the brewery and we had a chat with him and he said, et is ça va? And, uh, and we just found it funny. And so on the, on the first event, uh, that we organized for the first kegs that we opened that was at the uh, Recyclar uh, bar uh, where you've just eaten. You know, uh, I was like making the poster and uh, I was asking to Denis like, okay, what, what should I put on the, on the poster? And he said, ah, it's Sava. And so I just put like the even like it's Sava. For an English speaker, how do you translate it's Sava? Um, it is, uh, well, I would literally, um, like, uh, it would be like, it's okay. It's like, it's okay, it's, it's decent, okay. you know. It's uh, fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, otherwise it is, it is, it is okay, kind of. Uh, but, uh, and um, so, I mean, you, you obviously have a small bit of a community around the brewery as well. Mm-hmm. Um, did you guys crowdfund as part of your kind of startup? Yeah. So tell me a little bit about, about how that happened. Uh, well, um, we just, uh, I don't know, got lucky because uh, the, the brewery attracted a lot of people on social network very far, very fast uh, without us needing to do much. Why? We were just posting, I, I don't know, is it the name, uh, simply that it's a brewery, like our close friends like uh, really boost us, like the day we... We opened the Facebook page. We instantly had like uh, more than 300 people following us. And like in one month, I think we had reached like 1,000 people. So we were really like, we didn't expect it that at all. Like I remember at that time, Dennis and I were roommates. So actually, yeah, it was like we were living in the same house. Uh, we mostly so yeah, the brewery was your life, yeah, basically. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I remember like seeing like every second like a notification of someone liking the page. That was a that was a nice moment. And uh, and so yeah, we we decided to um, to give it a shot uh, at crowdfunding as part of our budget. 
and uh, and it worked very well. Uh, so we were asking ten thousand, and we had like fifteen thousand something. Okay, like that. congratulations. Yeah, it was nice, and uh, and our crowdfunding campaign was really shitty. Like the video, we had like made it yourself, and when I watch it now, you know. It, 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 it is a very bad quality, but it's genuine, you know? You can tell people, you know... People can connect it. with the authenticity yeah. of it. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. While now, you know, compared... It's like the opposite of your project, in which, like, there are crowdfunding videos, everything is, like, super uh, detailed and well thought, or um, the latest um, crowdfunding campaign of uh, Hermitage. I think it's amazing, you know, what they've done with their uh, identity and so on. And it's really beautiful, and when you see their videos, like, wow, you, you want to put money, you know? When I look back at two years back, our video, I'm, I'm like comparing to their, it's like, <laughs> we're amateurs, you know? Like, uh, but I think that's also part of the charm of Unstummelings is that you guys are so open and everything is so authentic. And, you know, it, it's just a different sort of, it has its own charm. Um, maybe we could try another beer? Yeah, sure. Before we move on to the next yep. part? Mm. So the next beer that we have here is the Vogelpick. So actually, it's um, it's a beer which is in between a white beer and a blonde beer. Uh, so we use 50% of wheat, and then it's quite malty. It's a uh, 6% uh, and a little bit of uh, coriander. Um, we opened it two hours ago, so it's going to be... a bit less fizzy than it should be, but uh, you'll, you'll get the taste. Um, so th the story of Vogelpick um, is actually kind of funny uh, because uh, the, the, the base of that beer is uh, Chic Madame. And I think uh, it's like uh, one morning, uh, Dennis was not like very awoken and he just uh, doubled all the special malts uh, in in the beer while putting like less sweet and uh, so well it was launched you know like the first uh, mash was started so there was uh, no point in uh, trying you know to even out the thing so we just you know embraced it and uh, he wrote down the the recipe and when we tasted like the result we just decided to produce it again and uh, it it was kind of uh, kind of uh, at the right moment because it was uh, in uh, in May 2016 and so we were going to have like our first uh, anniversary or our uh, first year yeah and uh, and so we, we had like a something nice to propose to uh, people like saying okay this is like our uh, birthday birthday beer. beer yeah yeah and so now, uh, so that's the Vogel Peak 2016, and now we're preparing like a Vogel Peak 2017. Uh, it's not a one shot; it's something we're gonna produce throughout the year. Um, maybe not with the brewery, but new brewery. But uh, I'll go over it uh, later. And um, and so yeah, we just kept and Vogel Peak uh, means uh, well, it has two meanings. Like the first meaning is a uh, is a game of darts. Uh huh. And uh, so there is, when you do something uh, in a Vogelpick fashion, I would translate that way, yeah. it means that you're doing something randomly. Because like the recipe... It's like just of, throwing a dart. Yeah, because the, it, it was kind of a random uh, recipe. Yeah. Of course, that we worked after and we tweaked, but the base idea of the, of the, of the beer 
was not intended mm -hmm. to be that way. So I was, yeah, it was random. So. Yeah. Um, a, a part of your identity is the, uh, the, the bottles, which don't uh -huh. have labels. Yeah. So what you do is you tie a, a small cord uh -huh. around the neck of mm -hmm. the 75CL brown champagne bottles. Mm -hmm. And you have a small card which indicates what the beer is and yep. gives information to the consumer. Um, now, I've heard that, that what happened was you ordered business cards that were not actually printed properly. Yep. And that you, instead of wasting, a, you know, a young brewery doesn't have a lot of money to throw things away. Yeah. <clears throat> instead of throwing the business cards away, you uh, attach those onto the bottles and use them as labels instead. Is that, is that actually true? It is, it is the story indeed. Uh, so um, I had, like, basically I had sent, like, both, uh, on both sides, it was just the logo of the brewery and not our actual business card. And, we didn't know what to do with those business cards. So I remember, you know, like, just naturally, like, taking, like, the card, punching a hole into it, and take it, like, some little rope, you know, and say, okay, that's going to be all labeled. Because at that time, we had no idea what to do for our uh, labels, because we were wondering, okay, we could stick it over, but... Uh, uh, we had like no machines to do it and so on so we were like okay um, but I mean today you know you will go to a lot of very good uh, bottle shops uh, places in, in Brussels mm -hmm. and you know your your bottles are on display with the the tag and the string yeah it's well, kind of it's kind of quite original because no one else does it yeah well or for some special cuvee uh, you know for instance uh, Verzet does it uh, for some some of their cuvees and so on um, but it's true that it, it is our main uh, label. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's, uh, actually we kept it because it really puts forward the fact that everything is done by hand. Up to that, like every little rope has been tied in the brewery. And you can clearly see it's not a machine that did it. Like you just have to compare like where the holes are punched, you directly see it. Um, but yeah, uh, that's works but uh when we're gonna increase the production we won't be able to hold it because that'll make much more uh so you will move to labels then yeah, that yeah, point. yeah. Um, and i think i was here once before with a, uh, an american uh, beer writer and uh, they passed comment about your logo and they were saying you know how long did it take you to think of the logo and you must have gone through a lot of drafts and working with a graphic design house mm -hmm. and you turned around and said no we just got free design online yeah. is that also true yeah yeah it is uh it's it really defines like the way we were like very you know zero budget what is a in entrepreneurial vocabulary like bootstrapping yeah you know yeah. and uh and uh, so yeah actually the logo is a free business card templates that i found on internet and you just typed in in stumblings Mm, I still modified it like a, a little more, but like the whole ID, the whole layout was from the template, and uh, and the thing, yeah, I I checked that if the if it was free of charge even for commercial use, and there was like a, all the license that uh, we could use it even for commercial use. Uh, that would be fun to one day uh, find back the guy who did it and at least send him like a crate of beer Absolutely. or something. you need to reward him with a because, few beers. Uh, yeah, we, we owe him. <laughs> uh, but, uh, but yeah, yeah, we had no money. And at first it was meant to be something like temporary, but the more we used it and had good feedbacks and it started to really uh, 
represent the brewery. Uh, it became part of your who yeah. you were. Yeah, yeah, and and yeah, it's funny because either like the because actually, if you look the at the at the tag at the label, it is the size of a business card, and uh, so it's like still like every label is like our business card on the on the bottle. So. Um, you, you mentioned earlier that there was this article that kind of put you in the public spotlight a little mm-hmm. bit, and that it referred to as the third brewery in Brussels. Mm-hmm. Um, so the other two at that time, of course, were Cantillon de la Seine. Mm-hmm. I mean, do you have a good relationship with those breweries um, to this day? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, we're, we we have very good relationship with uh, with Cantillon and La Seine. Uh, we from the start we had uh, we had like a. I think I see, I've I've seen on your website you've written that you you call yourselves the little brother of Cantillon de la Seine. I, I've read that somewhere. Ah, uh, yeah, that that might be because actually we we have like a. Internal joke with uh, with uh, with La Seine and Cantillon, uh, which which is linked to football actually. It's uh, uh, the, the link Royal between Union, the two yeah. Saint Gilles. Yeah, and um, so um, there's yeah. The, so you will see like the story seems a bit surreal, but again we're in Belgium, so it's normal. Um, so uh, there is um, a branch of so we're all fan of uh, Union Saint Gilles. Which is like a small team, but like legend. They're in the approximate team, league, uh, which is kind of the second tier in Belgium. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that used to be much lower a yeah. few years back. It's kind of crazy what happens right now. But we're not here to discuss football. Um, the so they have like an um, Italian branch of fan. So there is like a fan club of Italia, and those guys actually happens to have like a tap room. Uh, in a little village nearby Milan, okay. and uh, so they had invited Jean to basically do like a little micro festival slash tasting, but that was intended to be like for uh, Union. So with some supporters from Belgium that came to visit them because they come sometimes to visit us, you know, to go to matches and so on. And so Jean invited us. To come as well, since we're a fan of Union, and he also uh, asked to uh, to La Seine to come, and so we all went to this uh, well, yeah, to this festival, and so we 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 really drank like for uh, for two days. In so a that row. was a really good way to get to know those guys. Yeah, 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 and uh, and well, the the thing is that we we were already in good contact, but. Where the private joke comes, it's just like a picture that we took. Like we were nearby a chapelle, and we took like all the breweries with a uh, with the scarf of the team, and we're just like praying in front of the on the chapelle, and and we said, oh, we're like the holy trinity, whatever, you know. And uh, so it's like you know the, you have uh, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So a little bit like the. Father would be the Seine, would be the Son, and the Holy Spirit is Jean. <laughs> <laughs> of course, <laughs> of course. And, uh, um, so, yeah, so that's where it started. And so it kind of really, like, bonded the, the, like, the, the, the three breweries and were used to go to football match together. But uh, actually it goes uh, beyond brewing. is more like of a, of a friendship, you know. And, of course, um, it's just, yeah, um, because of Brussels, because of football, because of, of our craft, uh, like I mean, like what bounded us is the way that you know uh, we were kind of very bold in our approach of uh, saying how we started the business and how we 
we uh, brew everything ourselves and our uh, philosophy of brewing, uh, of uh, brewing for ourselves first uh, and not bring like following trends. Um, so yeah, it, it created like a really, really nice uh yeah, no, I think that you get that feel from the brewery that the Brussels is really part of your identity. Mm-hmm. I mean, that extends itself also into the names of your beers. Yeah, yeah, of course. So um, you, you mentioned a few of them there, but so Curious News is your triple. Mm-hmm. And I mean, is that also kind of a sort of a, a fun name uh, about, I guess, someone who's nosy, mm-hmm. right? Well, the, the Curious News is, is a typical Brussels expression. It just means someone who's too curious and uh, goes well with Anstumelings, you know, and uh, and it's just like, yeah, that is wanted to have like a curious, you know, like the way you wanted to have the the, the Cruzeneuse was to, that you have like one nose but that it tastes like uh, different so that you get like a counterbalance. Yeah, yeah, with the aroma yeah. and the flavor. Which is a little bit like Anstumelings, Cruzeneuse, like. Yeah, yeah. Um, so now we're going to move to um, the Cuvée Houdini. So this is the second beer that uh, that we brewed. Um, still back when we were uh, at uh, the the very small uh, brewing plants that we had, like uh, the illegal <laughs> the illegal times. And um, so uh, it is uh, amber beer. Uh, so you have like that nice caramel taste, and it's brewed with uh, coriander and uh, orange peel, uh, which is like a classic uh yeah combo of spice and uh so it has like a little fruitiness a little spiciness and uh makes like something like a uh, very balanced on the name the name actually <laughs> the name uh comes from uh, the first day we brewed it because it was like a supernatural brewing like i mean like there was stuff like disappearing and uh, some data as you know like about density like going like crazy changing all the time and like we were not understanding what was going on and so we started joking around that you know there was like a Houdini in the place like joking with us something and we just uh, kept the name so it's like the the magical cuvee and we we found it quite nice as well because our first name was uh, very Brussels-y. And also we had decided at that time that it would be nice as well to have um, other names than uh, names that sounds from Brussels. Otherwise, you can get stuck in that. You know, we, we want to put Brussels forward, of course. Uh, we are from Brussels. We grew up. We have Brussels beer. But we don't want to, to get stuck in, uh, into a cliche about, you know... Uh, Brussels names and stuff like that. So it was a good way to, to do it. Or um, we don't produce it anymore, but uh, there's another beer that we made with a totally different name, which is the Smoky Max Smoke, which is clearly not from Brussels. Smoky Max Smoke. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so yeah, it's a balance between, uh, you know, tradition and fun, you know. And um, so you... Uh What's what's your capacity here in this in this? Just to talk about the brewing for a second. So you have mm-hmm. your, uh, I see three kettles here beside me. So you can kind of mash and, and boil at the same time two different batches. Mm-hmm. Um, so, how many times a week are you brewing, and what's your capacity? So we're brewing more or less three times a week, and so it's uh, actually six batch because we're always doing like a double batch, and um, so each batch is one hundred twenty-five. So 
is 250 per day. And globally, on a year, we reach uh, 300 hectoliters, which is quite nice for a, for a brewery uh, our size, but uh, not enough to like uh, supply the the demand and uh, to really you know like we're, we're stuck since since uh, since more than a year. And are you mostly distributing in Brussels, or do you also yeah. have your beers in other places? Uh, there are some other places that uh, distribute our beer, but I would say 95% of the of the beers are sold in Brussels in uh, in local places. Uh, well, the main place is the brewery itself because it's a brewery slash shop. Uh, we still sell like uh, 40% of the whole production is sold here. Uh, oh, fantastic! Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, it's it's really good for us uh, because you know it allows us to get like all the margin, which is uh, quite needed given our uh, our small production. And and uh, from a production point of view, I'm sure there's plenty of challenges working uh-huh. on a small space with relatively basic kit. Yeah. So I mean, do you, do you ever are you ever concerned about using plastic uh, for fermentation? Uh, we're we were always uh, worried about using plastic, uh, but we found out that uh, with very careful cleaning, like I mean, it's it's a long process to clean uh, to clean plastic, especially that when you look at the tanks, uh, it's not easily easy easily um, accessible to put your arm in it and you know uh, wrap the whole thing. Uh, but uh, since we started, we had like no major problem linked to the fermenters we had problems uh, linked to pipes linked to plate exchanger uh, we had our lot of uh, of infected brews that we had to to throw away um, but it was never linked to the fact that we're using plastic fermenter uh, I mean uh, we get a pretty decent quality uh, of beer uh, with what we're working with, I think, because uh, yeah, w- when we started and when we said that we were going to use plastic fermenters, some people from the brewing industry were not laughing at us, but like telling us we're crazy. Uh, maybe la- laughing in the back, but uh, that we don't know. But the the thing is, uh, it worked. I mean, we're still here with uh, the same plastic fermenters, and uh, it allows us to build everything. So, yeah, for sure. And I mean. Um, there is a plan then to to move the brewery. Mm-hmm. So you're moving the brewery and you're also upgrading the the brewing kit. So you have a new brew house and a, a fermenters, I guess. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about what what the plan is. Well, the the whole production side of the brewery is gonna change hundred uh, percent. Uh, I mean, the philosophy behind the way we work and so on is gonna stay the same. Uh, but the, everything's gonna change, even like uh, from a distribution pr- perspective and well, the production, uh, because uh, we're switching onto a brewing system that can produce um, 80 necto in a batch. So 1,800 liter in one batch is more than 215 two batch. Uh, it's also a machine that has been designed for that type of work and intensive use uh, I would say so uh, I think we're gonna save time you know everything is piped already like here when you look at our system when we want to make any transfer we need to pipe everything to clean it takes like uh, much more time and soon uh, 
Um, so yeah, the and we ordered uh, three fermenters of uh, 36 ecto each. So we're gonna do double batch and then fill one. It's just like a budgetary aspect because when you look at the difference of price between like a 18 ecto or 36 ecto fermenter, it's like 2,000 euro to have like double the capacity. So we said, yeah, okay, let, let's go for it. Um, so yeah, the, the annual production that we aim uh, for the new brewery is 900 ecto up to 1,000 to start with. So that's the triple. Uh, so of course it's gonna change the way we do uh, business because we're gonna you know provide much more uh, bar and you're so gonna on. have to sell more beer. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. exactly. And um, I'm well, of course I'm always uh, worried to you know uh, enter in a new phase of the business and this always like a bit of fog to explore. But it's true that we have a lot of uh, demands either for kegs. Uh, either for a 33 centimeters bottle. Um, also at a fair price, I would say. Not that our price is unfair for now, but it's very expensive for bar. I mean, for the margins they need to make on our product, our product ends up like very expensive. But I think, I think the consumer understands that on a scale like this, yeah. it's difficult to be competitive. Mm -hmm. And those that uh, want to can pay a little bit more. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and we don't mind. Like if someone tells me, in the bar are your beer is too expensive I will say yeah because even even I you know like our 75 cent in this bottle uh, like in the cheapest place you'll have it at 12 euro and max uh, maybe 18 euro um, I wouldn't pay uh, 18 euro well for now is I mean like I know that uh, some bottles are totally worth the price it's just that with the money I have now <laughs> I know I couldn't pay for you can't afford beer, to buy your own know, beer yeah, yeah. But yeah. it's also, you have to see it as a, you know, you're, it, it won't always be that way and that things will change when you yeah, have Yeah, of course. Beer. And so, yeah, and uh, it, to us, beer is a popular product. So, of course, we, we need to say at a, at a fair price, like for us, but also for the customer. So we'll strike the balance. We'll see a little bit. Uh, we haven't finished like the calculation about the new price, but we should align to uh, other breweries, of course. And is the new brewery going to be in the tour and taxis uh, space? Not really. It's uh, just next by. Uh, so. But are there other breweries going to be in that space as well? So there is already the No Science Brewery, yes. which is installed there. Uh, I don't think there will be another brewery because uh, the guy who runs the place, which is government-owned, uh, but he said that he didn't want it to become like a brewing hub so there's no sciences there you will be moving there yeah but i don't think there'll be any more brews. okay yeah than us but uh 300 meters from there will be the new building of la seine de la seine yeah so actually with uh l'ermitage setting up just nearby uh nearby Cancion, Cancion. uh it really follows the canal almost you know so you have uh so you have no science as uh la seine project uh L'Hermitage and Cantillon. So you've named off five or six breweries there that didn't exist two or three years ago. Yeah. Um, you know, is there a relationship between them? I mean, do they all kind of get on? Uh, do you kind of all support each other? Yeah, I, I think in a, in a general... Uh, we go, we go very far, we go along, we get along with, uh, with everyone. Um... And I think they also get along with uh, with everyone in general. 
uh, with such a small community, uh, well, there's always, you know, like a, a kind of, I would say for now, it's more like of a support, uh, except between, you know, from uh, from Lesson and your project, which which is like a fight that exists since, since a long time. Um, personally, I, I don't share their way of, uh, of uh, doing business. But I think you know it's it's a yeah it's a it's a beer brand. They have their little brewery set up. At least you know like they promised to build a brewery. They they did it. Like uh, compared to a lot of uh, people, you know that uh, promised that one day they will set up a brewery and then never do it. Yeah, it's, yeah. And did, did, I mean, do you do you kind of uh, um, is there is there a kind of a line that has to be drawn? That you have to be on the Lascent side or beer project side, or is it kind of <clears throat> you can just you feel free enough to to be your own person? Mm, it's a it's a tricky question. Uh, honestly, I don't think there should be uh, any any uh, lines to be drawn. But of course, when there there are like some kind of uh, topics, it's true that uh, naturally we will align more with uh, with uh, Lascent in general because. We have the same philosophy. Uh, it's just that uh, I won't go all out against uh, your project because I think it's just like you cannot compare it. You know, it's like a yeah a project around beer. To me, they have a brewery part of their project, but it's not like something you you know you can really uh, compare with. Uh, it's really like a, a a business, and they do it very fine. I think. Uh, I think overall in Brussels they had a, a more uh, positive impact for everyone than the inverse. You which, know. which helps people like you, I think. Yeah, I think so because uh, on one hand they, they have a way of doing marketing that reaches people that we will probably never reach uh, or they're very, you know, uh, to me they're very expat expat oriented just by the name Brussels Beer Project you know like uh, they, they focus on something much more European and so if they convert some people to craft brewing that after will get become client for us like why not you know I think it's still better than uh, than uh, AB InBev that just like uh, buys off craft and uh, integrate them in portfolio I think that that's some that's something really bad for the industry uh, after, yeah, it's always a, a matter of uh, educating the the client and leave them the choice. Because the thing is that there's plenty of customers that just don't care if the brew, if the if the beer has been brewed by the brewer in his own brewery, and uh, and I respect that. I mean, like uh, you have the philosophy as a brewer and the philosophy of the customer, and and uh, I don't think you know there's really like a of a cheat or a of whatever sometimes yeah a little bit complicated to see like uh what is like really honesty and uh and uh or some details that are kept vague you know for marketing purpose but i mean it's their stuff and um let's try another beer yeah Merci. It is ça va. Pleasure. Actually, it's kind of funny. Well, not, well, not funny. It's normal that you ask about those uh, those questions because I never really, you know, took the time to uh, speak my mind about it. But 
in general, to me, my feeling is that in in Brussels we have best interests to like you know more like uh, either work alone or work together. But you know, starting to fight when you're you know so so few projects is not uh, very uh, very very productive. It, well, it, for it, it seems to be more and more in Brussels, and I mean I think everyone is kind of taking inspiration from other people, even if you're yeah. small or you're new yourself. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, I mean, this is an exciting time and we're going to see over the next two or three years what's going to yeah. happen. Um, but I guess I'm also wondering how much you look outside of Brussels. I mean, how much other parts of Belgium do you travel to? Do you kind of have relationships with breweries in other in other places? Mm, uh, actually, I would say... Um we don't really go out. You're city boys. Uh, yeah, it, it's like uh, what I call the capital syndrome. You know, I, I assume I have it. It's true that I uh, rarely go uh, outside of, uh, of uh, Brussels. Of course, uh, we have some, some uh, relationship, like uh, we have a nice relationship with, uh, with Baston, you know, or there's some, some breweries that... Uh, we really like, you know, like the uh, Grand Corrul, you know, like a breweries like this. Uh, I don't mean like that we have a relationship with the, those last ones because we don't really have, but we know we're on the same radar and, uh, and, uh, and we really like what they do, clearly. Like their philosophy, the uh, Grand Corrul or Brasserie de l'Alien, uh, for instance, are yeah breweries that uh, inspire Verzet, of course, uh, because uh, in terms of you know young brewing, you know they, they're clearly like a a strong a strong force. Uh, so of course we're looking outside, but we're not uh, often going outside uh, beside football matches. Yeah, of course, and to, to Italian clubs of uh, Saint Gilles, oh. L'Union. Um, tell me a little bit about this beer and sort of the ingredients that you use and kind of your approach to, to fermentation. Um, we've always had a, a big focus on the malt. That's that's for sure. Um, Is that across all your beers or just for this beer? No, yeah, we, we really pay attention to uh, all the, the mix of malt that we're going to make uh, and the yeast uh, because we just feel in like, modern brewing uh there's been a lot of focus on hops lately even over focused because it developed some beers that um are became like a brewer laziness as i call it it's like it's just like uh, you know single stage brewing with uh, just some pale ale and just overload with hop and it creates like something like a kind of ball pour um in taste it's just like, uh, yeah, of course, uh, when you have an explosion of hop, uh, it can cover up like a lot of things, you know. And uh, so it's a bit like a way of sometimes uh, hiding a bad beer to me. Um, so, of course, after uh, uh, I'm not really uh, objective because it's not our taste, you know, like uh, IPAs and uh or very strong dark beer that's clearly not uh, our our type, or even barrel aged beer. You know that there's a lot of uh, people fan of uh, barrel aged beer, and that's something. So are you are you looking at more classic Belgian with a little bit of a twist, and also drinkability? Yeah, yeah. The, to me, that that that's how we would define our beer is uh, respecting like the the base 
of a, of a Belgian culture, adding our little twist and keeping it very drinkable, like something that you can drink one, two, three uh, without without a problem. Um, I love tasting, you know, sometimes like a a barrel 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 aged beer or dark beer, but then I'll have only a few sip, and that's something I kind of find. Uh, I mean, it's part of brewing, but. But that that, that, links, that it, intensity is 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 maybe too much for you yeah, sometimes. Yeah, 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 exactly. So yeah, we prefer to focus on something very uh, accessible. So in the in your future, you have this new brewery, and hopefully, you know, continued you know kind of recognition of Unstumelings. Yeah. Um, will you have any gaming projects in in your future? <laughs> no. No, that's that's no, that's no. In, the, in your past now. Yeah. Well. Maybe one day, uh, why not? But uh, no, for now, uh, I have a lot to do already uh, with the brewery and uh, gaming. It's true that people often mention, like, why don't you make like a game about brewing? You know, it's true. It could be fun, but uh, when you know the work that is required to make a game, uh, well, now it's not something you can do in parallel of uh, managing a brewery. Except if I get super rich and I can just say, hey, you, here's 100,000 euro, make a game. But then to do that, knowing that uh, independent game almost generally sells pretty much nearly zero euro, uh, zero copies of games, that would be just throwing out money away. So, um, And my last question is, do you enjoy what you do? Of course, <laughs> otherwise I wouldn't be doing it. Um, no, it's, uh, it's clearly compared to like, uh, the comfort I had of, uh, having like a salary and so on every month. It was very comfortable, but in the end, every day when I wake up, you know, I'm happy to wake up, uh, to come here and work and see how the thing developed. Like if you would have told me, uh, two years back, even more, three years back now, uh, that, um, Today, we would be having this conversation and talking about opening a brewery uh, with that capacity. I, I wouldn't have uh, believed you. Uh, so everything went really fast. I think uh, we got lucky. Uh, Dennis and I, we got lucky to be uh, in the right spots at the right time uh, because a lot of other people could have had like uh, this spot, but well... We did you're, it. You're here uh, now. Yeah, we're in it. So, uh, no, no, it, it's cool for us. And, of course, uh, it hasn't been easy. It has been, like, a lot of uh, commitment and... Uh, a lot of hard work. Yeah, yeah, yeah a lot of hard work. Um, a lot of things to think about, like, and strategize. And, uh, and uh, yeah, well, it's three years that uh, we live with a very limited amount uh, of money as well. Um, so, yeah... Well, Samuel, I want to first of all thank you for speaking to me. Yeah. It was a real pleasure, and I want to wish you the best of luck with the new brewery and for continued success with Instumilinks. Cheers. Sante. Thank you very much. Thank you. Cheers. Thank you for coming. Thanks for listening, folks. If you want to hear more, why not subscribe to the podcast? And if you liked it, we'd love it if you left a review on iTunes. If there's someone you know you think would enjoy it, please do recommend it to them. And if you want to keep up with our stories, resources and projects on Belgian beer and Belgian chocolate, sign up for our email updates on belgiansmack.com. Thanks again for listening and see you next time.